0: Good morning, Grace. Welcome, everybody. How we doing? You know, I was over there a few moments ago as we were singing, and uh, I was praying for you all. I was praying for me. I was praying for us. I don't know if you know that. There's, there's people who are praying for us as we worship. And as we were singing, great is your faithfulness, I'm like, man, do we get that? I don't know what's going on in your hearts. I don't, I just see the outside. God sees your heart. But I'm praying, I'm praying, God, show your faithfulness to your people this morning. Show your faithfulness to me because I need to see it again. And right as I prayed, show your faithfulness to me. Scotty walks around coming towards me with this big beam and smile. He's the guy who brought out this table this morning. Man, that man just sings and serves with such joy every Sunday. Amen. And I was wanting God to show His faithfulness by like some big response, some big, you know. He, he showed it through a big thing: His son Scotty being faithful in His service. Thank you, God, for Your faithfulness. Amen. Amen. Well, I am excited to be with you today, and a little bit daunted. I'll talk about that a little later. To be uh, to continue in our series compelled as our sister Chris already said last week we heard an incredible testimony life story and, and witness to how God is moving uh, in and through our newest ministry partners I'm not even going to say their names because we are live streaming this service and they serve in an area of the world that is not friendly to the gospel and not friendly to them if it becomes known that they're there for the gospel And I looked at that, and if you were here, they shared some of their testimony. They talked about being a light in a dark place because where they serve, something like 98%, I think, if I I got that percentage right, 98% are unbelieving. The proportional numbers are as if there were four, count them, four believers in all of York County. Imagine if you and three others were the only believers in York County. Imagine if you didn't know where each other was. What's the likelihood of you running into another brother or sister in Christ? Not much. They talked about the darkness. They showed this, the darkness. I didn't even notice it when they showed. There's a little, one little light down in the right-hand corner. One little light. In a very dark, dark place. Talked about how when they want to sing, the joy that it is to sing, Like we just did freely sing. They have to go up into the mountains. Rent a cabin before they can throw open the windows and sing. Folks, are we grateful for what we have? The ability to enter into joyful singing freely every week because they cannot do it in a place that dark. Why do they do that? Did that run through your mind? Like, why do they do that? Like, isn't it amazing that they went to a place like this? You know what's more amazing? They're going back later this week. They have a choice whether to go back or not. They're going back. And they, they talked about the reason they're there. The reason they go back is so that this turns into this. So in the middle of a dark place, there's just one more light. Just two more lights. Three more lights. You know what I wanted? I, where I thought they were going to go? I thought the next screen was going to be all white. I'm like, that's why they're doing what they're doing. So that God moves and a nation is transformed. Well, we pray that he is. But they're not even looking for that. They're looking for this. Like, that's fruit. After years of investment, if there's three more lights, if there's one more light, that's fruit. Wow, why, that's why they do what they do. And I don't know about you folks, but like, as I heard their testimony, like um, yeah, I'm getting into it already. But like, as I hear, heard their testimony, I was like, what is, why do they do what they do? And what does that mean for me? Were any, anybody asking yourself that? like, What does that mean for me? What does that look like for me? So my, my intention today is, is to examine what does that look like for us? Because so often we can hear these amazing testimonies and then distance ourselves from that and say, well, that's them. That's over there. God just God just called me here in, in, in my place. And he did. You know, it means far more than we think it means, I think, so... Let me just pray, and then we're going to open God's word together. Lord God, I just thank you for the way you speak through your people. I thank you for the ways you are moving all over this world. God, I thank you for the ways that you are bringing light to dark places. And God, for each one of us in this room, there was a time where our soul looked like that black screen, and yet you came for us, Jesus. You died for us, Jesus. You brought light into our darkness. And now when we look outside of ourselves, it feels like the darkness, can, the darkness can seem overwhelming. It can seem daunting. But Lord, you came into the world. The light came into the world. And the darkness has not, is not, and will never overcome your light, Jesus. So God, I pray that you would just make us aware of your light, of your call to be lights right where we are and across the world. And God, may we just hear afresh your call to us, help us receive freshly your love for us. And God, help us wrestle with what does that mean from this day on for us, Jesus. That the light that you've brought to us, that you might bring that light to others, God. Here and across the world, use us in some small way. Use us in some small way. To be bearers of your light. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen, amen. So we are going to be continuing today in this series, Compelled. Uh, we're going to start out in 2 Corinthians 5, because here's the question that I began to ask myself, right? Let's, actually, I'm going to back up to the title slide, right? We called this series, Compelled. How Christ's love moves us to mission. Folks, last week, they were moved to mission by this, by the love of Christ you can look at their lives and say why on earth would they do what they're doing this the love of Christ and there's people who actually looked at Paul and looked at his life and wondered the same thing they looked at his life and why on earth is he doing what he is doing because Paul is this guy who had it made he, he was in, in the upper echelons of Jewish society. He had gone to the best schools, been affirmed by the best people. He was a name among names. And now his life had taken a 180. And he was living through trial and suffering and persecution and imprisonment and beatings. And people looked at him and said, why? You're crazy. And Paul, Paul answered the question. He answered the question in 2 Corinthians 5. He says this, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 13, if we are out of our minds, Paul says, you think I'm crazy for seeking out a life of suffering and trial for enduring all this? If there's any way that I'm crazy, here's why. As some say and call me crazy, it is for God. It's for God. It's for him alone. Do you know why my life looks crazy, Paul says? (sighs) Because the wisdom of God is foolishness to this world because the life that I'm living makes absolutely no sense. The choices I'm making make absolutely no sense if you take God out of the picture. It's his wisdom that drives me. It's his love that compels me. And so to a world, to a world that's wasting away, it looks like foolishness. That's why they're calling me crazy. I wonder, do our lives look crazy to the world? Does your life, does my life look crazy to the world? He says, if we're out of our minds, as some say, it is for God. If we're in our right mind, it's for you. If there's anything I'm doing that makes sense to you, if there's anything, I, I, any way I'm living that seems like it might be worth it, if there is anything that I do that doesn't look half crazy to you, Paul says, he says, I'm doing it for you that you might come to know what is really life. It's found in Christ and nowhere else. That if you are living a life that makes sense to the world, you're wasting your if we're in our right mind, if anything makes sense at all, it's for your benefit that you might know true life in Jesus Christ. And here's why I do what I do. For Christ's love compels us. Christ's love compels us. Compel, that word, that word compel, the original word there, it, it's talking about forced into a direction. It's like imagine cattle and you ever see a a rancher move cattle from one pen or one area to the other. And there's these fences that converge and there's room for just one cow who can only go one direction at a time. And they're pushed from behind. There's nowhere else they can go and they can't stop. They're going that direction. They're compelled to go where the rancher wants them to go. Paul says this, I'm compelled. That word compelled means imprisoned surrounded. No other choice but this, compelled by the love of Christ. you ever seen somebody in love? They do crazy stuff, right? Because they love somebody else. They do crazy stuff. They're compelled by love to go crazy, to do stuff that doesn't make any sense. And Paul says, I'm compelled by love, but it's not my love that's crazy. It's the love of Christ that's crazy. That's what compels me because I'm convinced, Paul says, we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Like, can we let this sink into our souls afresh? Are you convinced of how crazy? The love of Jesus Christ is. How crazy it is, is it that he would die for all. See, if we, if we say things like this, you know, we say, man, if you were the only one, Jesus Christ would die for you. We say that, and yes, like, yeah, I get, I get what we say when we're saying that. Like, Jesus Christ loves you individually. He came to save you individually as well as the whole world. But here's the thing that's really going to blow your mind, that he died not just for you, but for all. Like, have you let that blow, your, blow your mind recently? Because some of us, like, if we, let to, if we got to know somebody well enough, maybe not too well, but well enough, we would think they're pretty good. And maybe for a good man, someone would dare to die. Maybe for one good man, someone would dare to die. But for all? Maybe for a family member? Maybe for somebody you see living a good life, you would dare to lay down your life. Anybody might be willing to lay down their life for one person. But Christ demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, rebels in darkness, complete and utter darkness, willing darkness, chosen darkness, we chose it. Rebelling completely against the God of all creation. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He went to the cross. How crazy is that love? How crazy is that love? Y'all don't think it's crazy enough. I'm not hearing this sink in that it's crazy. Like he left home and comfort. That's how crazy his love was. He left power and position. He left right and recognition and reputation. He left all of that for you and not just for you, but the whole world. That love is crazy. That love is crazy that Paul, and Paul says this, well, we were still sinners. In another place, he says, well, we were still sinners. Christ died for us. This is the love that blew Paul away. Well, he was a rebel. Well, he was living the high life. Well, he was on the road persecuting the followers of Jesus Christ, seeing them beaten, imprisoning them. Well, he saw them being put to death and looked on and gave a thumbs up. Even in spite of that, Jesus knocked him flat on the road while he was on the way to beat more, to imprison more, to prove a more death. Jesus knocked him flat and said, Paul, I'm coming after you. And even you, rebel, even you in darkness, I have chosen you to what? To carry my name to the nations. Does that kind of love compel you? That's what compelled Paul. He was knocked flat by this love. His life was turned to 180. In what a different direction! And I wonder. Are we compelled? Because do you know something is compelling you right now? Let me ask you this: What compels you? What compels you? I had to ask this my, myself. This question: If 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 Paul is compelled by this, if others like the folks we heard from last week are compelled to, like this, what it by this? What compels me? Because something is compelling you. And I thought, what compels me? Like, have I ever felt compelled? You ever felt compelled? I felt compelled a few weeks ago. We were on vacation. We're up in the Finger Lakes, which is absolutely gorgeous. I had never been there before. And we're walking through town, and we're walking through this shop that sells shirts because I like to find a shirt of a place that we go, and I buy a shirt. That's the one thing I I, I might get myself when we're on vacation is a T-shirt. So I'm looking at T-shirts, and all of a sudden I get distracted, not by a T-shirt, but by a smell. And I suddenly smell cinnamon, just the hint of cinnamon and toasted waffles. Like, where is this coming from? This is a clothing store. And so I wander a little closer, and I'm looking around for where this, and it gets stronger and stronger. It's this overwhelming smell of cinnamon and toasted waffles. And I look across, and the door is wide open between this clothing store and Ben and Jerry's ice cream. And they're making waffle cones. And there's no door in between, it's just open, the smell doesn't even have to go through the street, out the door and into this door, it can just travel right through, and so I can just travel right through, compelled by that, and we got Ben and Jerry's ice cream that day. Like, you can all relate to that, right? And then I thought, how sad is it that the first thing that popped into my mind, when I thought, am I ever compelled, was that? Waffle cones, really? I, I mean, you all have been compelled by that, perhaps, but we all get compelled by more. There's higher moments than that, right? We had one uh, later that day. We were, we were at our, our, our campsite, right on the edge of Lake Seneca, and we walked down And the, is the evening as the sun was setting. We walked down and we saw the sunset, and this picture cannot possibly do it justice, but it was absolutely gorgeous just standing there on the dock. And our cell phones had service. I don't know why, but they had service. And so we f- brought up YouTube and just, we were compelled. By that beauty, we were compelled to worship. We brought up Brandon Lake's gratitude and just, just played that and sang that, right? I, I, I've just got one choice. I've, I've got one move to spread my arms wide and worship you. So I throw my hands and I praise you again and again because all that I have is a hallelujah. Hallelujah. Got just one move here, just one move here, and it's worship. We get compelled by that. But what about every other moment of our lives? What compels us to live the life we live? Because something is compelling us. What compels you? Is it money? Are you compelled by money, by just having enough in the bank, by just providing for your family, and you think that, 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 that secure, that nest egg, that when that bank account just gets big enough, you're going to be fine, and you're going to be secure, and your family's going to be taken care of. Does that compel you? Maybe it's other people. If you can just wander, if, if you can just please other people in your life, if you just if all your relationships would just work out. Maybe this is what you're working for. This is what you're leaning into. This is what you're spending your life on. Something is compelling you. John talked about what compels us in his letter. He said this, do not love the world or the things of the world. Do you know there's a whole lot of people out there compelled by waffle cones and toasted cinnamon and a whole lot of other things that are here for a moment and then gone. He says, Don't love the world or the things of the world. If anything, anyone loves the world, if anyone spends his life on this, if any, anyone is compelled by this to spend their whole life on th- the love of the Father, is not in him. Those are hard words. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father but from the world. And this world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. What compels you? I was compelled by a sermon John Piper preached 20-some years ago. And he talked about two ladies He told their story that in April 2000, a lady named Ruby Ellison and Laura Edwards, they were killed in Cameroon, West Africa. Ruby was over 80. She had lived her life among the poor and unreached people of Africa. She had poured out her life that they might know the gospel. And Laura was nearly 80 herself. She was a a widow a medical doctor treating the sick uh, along with Ruby. She served alongside her, and they were in the car, and they were traveling from one town to another, and the brakes failed, and they went over a cliff, and they both were killed instantly. What a tragedy, right? That's what we'd say. We'd say, what a tragedy, and Piper says, no, that's not a tragedy. Those are lives poured out for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those lives weren't lost. They were found. And he says this, contrast that with a tragedy. He was reading in Reader's Digest about a couple who took early retirement. He was 59, she was 51. They live in Punta Gorda, Florida, and they cruise on their 30-foot fishing trawler, and they spend their days playing softball and collecting shells on the beach. And Piper says, think about that. Think about that, that the last testament, the last thing that they're spending, the The last season they have of their lives. Their one and only God-given life. And the testament that they're going to have to that season is playing softball and collecting shells. And he says, imagine them standing before their creator saying, Lord, look, my shell collection. He says, that's a tragedy. Now listen, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty about walking on the beach and collecting shells. I don't think Piper is either. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty about your 401k or your retirement plan. I'm just asking, what compels us? Our lives are being compelled by something and driven inexorably in one direction. And is that does that direction look more like Ruby and Laura who wasted their lives, spent their life, found their life for the gospel of Jesus Christ? Or does it look like bringing empty hands of our one God-given life, wasted? Because I think there's some ways where we, especially in Western America, we can, we can say, well, what do I want out of life? I want, well, I want you know, I just got to work and I want to provide for my family and I want a good nest egg there and a solid inheritance for my grandkids and no hell at the end of this, right? Some comfort along the way. Just give me that and that's good enough. But is it? Like, is that what we settle for as far as a compelling life? I'm talking to me here, folks. And I'm not just I'm not saying that we need to feel guilty about living where we live and about the necessities of providing for family and things like that or taking a walk on the beach. I'm just saying, is that part of a life compelled by the love of Jesus Christ to be spent on greater things that are not passing away? that are not passing away, what are we compelled by? What do we spend our lives on? Do you know Jesus Christ gave us something to spend our lives on? He gave us a mission. He gave us a mission. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Go therefore and baptize those in all nations. Baptize, introduce them to the gospel of Jesus Christ. When people back in that day, when they got saved right away, they wanted baptized. These days sometimes we, we spread that out some because it's really not about getting dunked under the water. That's a symbol of what happens inside But but he's saying, baptize them in the name of the Father. Bring them into the family of God. Introduce them to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Make this your compelling mission. Because I sought after you, Jesus says, seek after others. I went after the one, and that was you. Now the one is somebody else. Will you go after them? Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Right? That's evangelism. But not just that. Don't just introduce them to the gospel, but then live it out, model it out, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you because Jesus came and he sought us out when we were the one. And then he lived a life that demonstrated what true relationship with God looks like. True unhindered relationship with God, what it looks like. And he invites us into that relationship and he says, I'm gonna be with you for the whole thing. Will you disciple Others, will you introduce them to the gospel and then help them live it out? Because the fact that Jesus Christ came and died and rose again is not just a historical fact to believe so that we get fire insurance. The fact that Jesus came and died and rose again changes everything in our lives. That's why we do what we do here at Grace Fellowship Church. that's, That's why we have the Peacemakers Pledge, right? Because we believe relationships and conflicts should be lived out radically different than the world lives it out. Because Jesus Christ died and rose again and it changes everything. Even our relationships. So we live out that peacemaker's pledge or we strive to imperfectly. That's why we have treasure keys on the wall. Because we believe that the way we spend our money is radically different. should be radically different than the world. Because he gave all for us. And so the way we spend and the way we give and the way we save is radically changed because Jesus Christ came and died and rose again for you and for me. That's why we have prayer altars on the wall because we believe that he died and rose again and then breathed out his spirit upon us. And so any of us, any of us who have said yes to Jesus, as Savior and Lord, his spirit, the very spirit of the living God I hope this is sinking. The very spirit of the living creator God has now come to reside in you and you now have an altar on your heart where the fires may be kept burning day after day in the presence of the living God and you now get to walk out life with him. And our mission is then to turn around and tell that to others. That's the that's. Why we do what we do here. That's, because that's why we have the mission of Grace Fellowship Church. You might know it, you might not, but you can say it with me. We are used by God to bring them in, build them up, and send them out by his grace and for his glory. See, bring them in. Introduce them to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's not bring them into these four walls or introduce them to Grace Fellowship. That's bring them into the family of God and introduce them to a life-changing relationship with their rightful Lord and their Savior Jesus Christ, if they would only see it and say yes to Him, let's bring them in and build them up, teaching him them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded us. and then to send them out that they might duplicate that again, that they might be disciples who make disciples, right? It's why we do everything we do here. And praise God, it's happening. It's happening through all the things I mentioned. It's happening through the Dream Center. We're walking out of these four walls. Adopt-a-Block is going out into neighborhoods around this area. We, We are meeting needs in this area that others might come to know the love of God. It's happening, amen? If you don't see it, like go out and and check the ministry cards and look at what is happening around here, not just on Sunday mornings, but every other day of the week in house churches and ministries and men's and women's. And I could go on and on. It's happening. Praise God. But there's more. Like God has more. God has more than that. Do you know that? God has another. There's another slide, right? Yeah. There's more. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations of all nations. of of all nations that's somebody else, right? I mean there's there's those folks last week they're going to all nations, right? And there's others coming up in this year they're going to all nations, but like that's that's not us. No, this this commission is for all of us. This commission is is for all of us even that. You know when I was growing up in church and I and I, I think we've just yeah. When I was growing up in church uh, the church I was growing up in, praise God, they, they, they loved Scripture and they sought to live that out. And one of the things that I can't remember constantly, every few months there would, be, there would be missionaries that would come from overseas. And they would tell these wild stories about tribes in the jungle and what God was doing over there. And it was crazy stuff. I thought, man, that is not me. That's insane, right? And then, you know what happened in the Western church a little bit? This isn't all bad, but listen here. Like what happened in the Western church over the last couple of decades is these movements began start to, to open our eyes to the fact, and they, they said, we're all missionaries. Everything is missions. Everything is missions. we got a book out on the book table I'll point to later called Everything is Missions. Like everything we do, it's all missions, and we're all missionaries, right? Because that's what the, the, the uh, Great Commission says. We're all, every, everybody's on mission as soon as we leave this place. Well, we might all be on mission, but we're not all missionaries. Because what they thought would happen was like, if we get a a vision that we're all missionaries everywhere we live and everywhere we go, our workplace, our home, our school, if we all see that as the mission field, well then that's going to open our eyes up to the fact that we're all missionaries and our love for the nations is just going to overflow. And there's a good thing, there's a good intention behind saying we're all missionaries, right? What we mean is we're all evangelists, we're all called to tell our testimony, we're all called to disciple others, to model the way Christ lived, and, and to show others and introduce others and tell them to, to, to help them, to guide them, and walk in walking this out. That's what we're all called to do. But you know what happened is that that overflow never happened. You know what I saw happen in Western churches, not just the one I attended, but others? Missionaries got mentioned less and less. The ends of the earth got met, mentioned less and less. And that overflow didn't happen. To to the point where if you were here last week, we played a video and it it gave us an idea. I'm not going to play the video again, but it gave us an idea of some of this imbalance in the Great Commission. 40% of the world's population, that's about 3 billion people are unreached. So our, what we call our mission field, you and me, like when we walk out of these four walls, like all these people that we encounter, they're all reached, whether they've said yes or no to Jesus or have no idea what the, the gospel means, like they have the opportunity to find out. Three billion people about in the world right now do not even have the opportunity to hear the gospel, even if they wanted to. They don't have the choice like our coworkers, our family, they're saying, no, we can grieve over that, but they have a choice at least, like they've heard some of it, they get an inkling. Three billion people are unreached right now. Have we forgotten that part? That we go to all nations. Three percent. So we send out missionaries to foreign soil, right over 400,000 missionaries. Three percent of those missionaries are going to the unreached three billion people. Three percent. and are giving, on average, Christians give about 2% of their income to Christian causes. Of that 2% of their income, 7% of that goes to cross-cultural workers that are going outside of our people. Race, color, creed, language, cross-cultural. Of that 7%, 1% is going to the 3 billion un reached people. Folks, do you feel the imbalance? Do you feel the imbalance like we've lo- we've lost we've lost some attention on part of the great commission. Jesus said to go to all nations. It started with that and we've lost some imbalance and I'm going to talk in a minute about how to how I think we can restore that balance some. That's the the heart and the intention behind this series is not to make it, if you're feeling guilt at all that's not the intention of what I'm saying here. Don't feel guilty. Like Shame off you, shame off me. Jesus died for that. Like he took that shame, he took that guilt. All right. So, but let's have it move up. Let's have it compel us to get our attention back where it needs to be on the whole Great Commission, right? Great Commission was given to the disciples, and Jesus said in another place in Acts, he he told them, "You're you're going to be my witnesses to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth." And that's not just your your is in Jerusalem, and when you're done with Jerusalem, like when everybody's saved, then move on to Judea, and get everybody saved there, and then move on to Samaria, and then move to the ends of the earth. No, it's not like it's all of it at the same time. Isn't that huge? I mean, that's big. I just hear that, and I'm overwhelmed. Aren't you overwhelmed? Like, what can I possibly do in the face of these, these facts, these statistics. I'm part of that statistics. I'm a small part of that statistic, but what can I do? Isn't it overwhelming? I, I have good news for you. Listen up. I have, two, I have good news. Two things. This is a great commission. This is not a great mission for you individually. This is a great commission for us together. We're not in this alone. This is for us together as the people of God to fulfill the great commission. So so it's not just you going to all nations. It's, nations. it's us going to all nations, and you're not alone in another way. Jesus said he will be with us to the very end of the age. So we're not not alone. That's one piece of good news. Do you know the other piece of good news? This big call, this huge mission, this absolutely overwhelming, how could it ever be done? Do you know what the good news is? It gets done. Revelation 7, after this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. Not three billion, not seven billion, that no one could possibly ever count. And they were from every nation. They were from every tribe, every people, every language group. They were standing before the throne and before the Lamb, and they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice. Imagine the loud voice of a number of people that you can't possibly count. And they said, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Listen, this overwhelming mission, it gets done. Like he sent us, he charged us to go to all nations. It's going to get done. By the power of God and his spirit through his people, it gets done. Here's where you and I are at in between. We're, we're not there yet. So what are we going to do? What, what are you and I going to do? like here's what this vi- this vision from revelation just like the great commission should call us higher than just ourselves and just our workplaces and just our schools and just wherever i live and just the people i know it should call me higher to have eyes across the world for the people who are unreached not that i can do it all but that this is that i have a part that i have a part to play in all of this you have a part to play in all of this do you know that it should lift our eyes, and it gets done. But we're in the in-between, so what are we going to do? Can I tell you, praise God, in the in-between, there's people going. There's people like we heard last week. There's people that we're going to hear from in the coming weeks who are going to foreign nations, who are going some to reached and some to unreached people groups, and making the gospel known among those who wouldn't otherwise hear it. It's being accomplished by some who say yes. But here's, here's the thing. I've talked about the why of the mission, right? We're compelled by Christ's love. I've talked about what the mission is, the what of the mission, right? But it's the great co-mission. Disciples making disciples of all nations. But the who of the mission, we get lost in that sometimes because it's obviously not me. I'm not over there. It's obviously not you. You're not over there, right? It's for those other folks who are leaving this week. It's for those other folks who are coming up. It's not me. When God possibly might be looking in my direction for this, we think you got the wrong guy, right? Like I thought, I I felt that this week as I was preparing this message. There was, as I was prepared and and had to to try to follow what we heard last week. To try to lay groundwork for what we're going to hear in coming weeks from people who are going across the world and part of missions across the world. There was a song that came through my head as I was preparing this. And it wasn't just as I am. It wasn't send me. It was a little old song from Sesame Street years ago. If you were a child of the '80s, one of these things is not like the other. One of these things just doesn't belong. I wanna know, can you find it by the time I finish this song? Oh, well, that's what I like. This guy unqualified to be part of this series, okay? So, so no guilt, no shame on you. Like, if this has not been on your radar, if you're part of this imbalance, like I'm part of this imbalance, like I feel it too, what are we going to do with that? We can't just continue to leave it to the professionals because that's what we do, right? Well, that's for the superstars. That's for Peter and Paul and Scripture and those folks last week and those folks coming up. It's for the giants of the faith. It's not for me. Like, I mean, they're the major leaguers. We're just the farm team, Right? or maybe yeah let me use a different metaphor that might connect like like they're the Marvel superheroes, right? We're just DC. Anybody? Anybody? Oh, too low, too low. You know you like the other one, the Marvel ones better. Like, like let's leave the real work to the real professionals. But no, it's us too, folks. Like like watch this. The 11, This is right before Jesus gives the Great Commission. Watch this. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Hey, praise God. Like, they're obeying what Jesus said. Jesus said, take this step. And they took that step, right? When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Think about that. I used to read that and, and think, well, like, maybe there's a lot of disciples there. Like, these are a lot of, not just the 11, there's there's maybe hundreds of people who have claimed Jesus as their Lord and are trying to follow him, and they're there on this mountain. And sure, some of them doubted. That's what I used to think. And then I read this again. I wasn't reading close enough. Then the 11. Maybe there were more there, but Matthew just tells us the 11 were there. These were the guys, listen, these were the guys who walked with Jesus for three years. Wouldn't you love to walk with Jesus for three years? They were taught by the Savior. They were taught by him. They didn't have to hear it from some other jerk. They were taught by him. The very Lord and Savior and creator of the world. Like he walked some of them along the road and said, let me show you how from Genesis to Malachi, how it all points to me. Man, wouldn't you have loved to hear that message? They heard it from him. They saw him dying on a cross. They grieved alone. And then they experienced his resurrection women running from the tomb with some crazy story and then him standing right before them and inviting them to fish for breakfast and he has it all cooked up for him like and he's right there and even now he's right there in front of them and they worshiped but some doubted really is that all they were a bunch of worshiping doubters yeah is that all the 11 were a bunch of doubting worshipers yeah You ever feel like that? Man, I am just a worshiping doubter. Just a doubting worshiper. You got the wrong guy, Lord. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All power, all authority. He's the king. And he is ascending to his throne. He's got the scepter in his hand that represents all authority, all power. He can do anything he wants. One commentator said this I love this. He has all the authority, and he can now send whoever he wants to do whatever he pleases. He has that much power. He can now send anybody, whoever he wants, to do whatever he pleases. Who's he gonna send? The superstars? The big guys? The professionals? The worshiping doubters? That's who he's going to send, the doubting worshipers. That's who he sends, to do whatever he pleases, to take his word to the nations. It's not some other guy. He doesn't have the wrong guys. Do you know what strikes me in this is that their doubt doesn't matter? Like, sometimes I wonder. Sometimes I like, man, I... Yes, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. You ever live like that? And man, it's that unbelief that's going to catch me, right? It's that unbelief that's going to keep me from having an impact for the kingdom. The the, the doubting doesn't really matter here. You know what matters? The worship. Like they just recognized who Jesus was. In spite of the doubts, in the midst of it all, they recognized who Jesus was and they walked with him. And down the road, people are going to say, man, what are these guys talking about? They are so uneducated. But I can tell one thing, they've been with Jesus. That's what mattered. Have you been with Jesus? That's all that matters. Have you gotten a glimpse of how his life and death changes everything completely for you? That's what matters. Have you forgotten? Open his word and get a glimpse again. Get with his people, get a glimpse again. But this mission is not for the professionals. It's not for us to sit out. It's for all of us. All of us. So what do we do? You know, you think of these people who go overseas and how do they make that decision? Well, they hear the call, right? The call. Whatever that is they know, they're called by God. Like he, told, he showed up in some way and told them specifically. And yeah, that, that happens in a lot of, a lot of people's stories. We, we heard about some of that last week. We'll hear about some of the, again, the, the call. And we're like, what does that sound like, right? If you've never heard the call. Well, we imagine this as like a me and Jesus thing. And, and that's it, end of story. Like Jesus has to give me the call and that's it, end of story. And when we hear the Great Commission, well, I'm either called to go to all nations or I'm not, end of story. And if I'm called, that's it. Just help me go. And, it, and if I'm not called, well, I'm staying right here and my attention will be right where I'm planted, thank you very much. But that's not what it is. See, the, the call is not supposed to be the end of a conversation. It's supposed to be the beginning. The Great Commission is not the end of a conversation. It's supposed to be the beginning. Lord, how do I live this out? What's my part? What part do I play? Are, are we, see, we don't like, we like the ends of conversations. We don't like the beginnings because there's so much uncertainty and I don't know, and I don't have the answers right now. But like, are we willing to just hold this open-handed and say, you know what? Let this be the beginning of a conversation. This series, these weeks, as our eyes are open to more of what God's doing over the world, are we uh, willing to let this be the beginning of a conversation? That's, that's what it was, even for the professionals. Like, watch this. How, do, how does somebody get called to missions? Acts chapter 13. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Not just one, not just, like, many prophets and teachers. Here's a few of them. Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So you hear this list, and this is the usual suspects, right? I mean, of all the prophets and teachers, these five were like, I mean, they were the go-to guys, I guess. And most of those names mean nothing to us, but a couple of them do, because we know what happens. We know the next steps. But do you know, as they're sitting there in this moment... This is just them together, brothers and sisters. Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Manion, Saul. Like we can pick out Barnabas and Saul, there's the superstars. No, there's no superstars. They're just looking across the room. Here's who's in the room. Here's who's in the room. Here's who's in the room. We could point to the superstars. Those people last week, they're sitting right there. And they're going. They're the superstars. No, no, no superstars. Like it anybody anybody in this room could have the call to do something crazy for God to go to the nations for God to live dramatically different right where you are for Jesus Christ that others might come to know him to live a life poured out for the gospel do you experienced the call to do something incredible that dramatic for God like we would pick him out right away. Saul had already been flattened on the road. Jesus had already said, he's the one who's going to carry my name. Do you know what? Saul didn't say, get out of my way. Jesus gave me the call. No, he sat with the brothers and said, let's pray. And he worshiped with them. And he fasted. And they prayed. And while they were worshiping, all of them together, no superstars, the Lord they were worshiping the Lord together, and they were fasting, God, this mission is far bigger than us, it is way too big, what part do we have to play? They were fasting, and the Holy Spirit said to all of them, all of them heard this together it sounds like, in some way they heard set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, like all of you all are called to this great commission, but for this one particular job, I'm calling apart a few, Barnabas and And Saul, for the work which I have called them. And everybody heard that together. And so after they had fasted and prayed, they, all of them together, placed their hands on them and sent them off. Do you see? Even Saul being flattened on the road wasn't the end of a conversation. It was a beginning. And he gathered with God's people and said, I'm going to listen together with God's people about what you might say to me. And I'm not going to say, God, you would never call me to deepest, darkest Africa. You would never call me there. End of story. And I'm not going to say, I'm definitely called there. End of story. I'm going to sit with God's people. Do you know, I've met people in the family of God who who just like, and, and their intentions are good. I'm not questioning their hearts. But they say like, this is what I'm called to. This. Whatever this is. And anybody who gets in my way, well, no, like that's not the way it works. That's not the way calling works. Calling works all of us together. And we listen imperfectly, but we listen together. And we all participate in the sending. So what do we do? Question. I want to encourage us to question. This week and in coming weeks. Will we worship and fast and pray for the nations? Will we worship and fast and pray for the Great Commission? Will we set aside time to give something up and say, God, this work is bigger than me. This work is bigger than anything I'm supposed to spend in my life. So, so let me worship and fast and pray and listen together as God's people. That's what we want to do over, over these coming weeks. But not, it doesn't end in four weeks, guys. You understand this. We, God has called us to more. And that commission doesn't end. So will we worship and fast and pray? Will we do this seasonally, ongoing? Because this isn't the end of a conversation. This is the beginning. Will we worship and fast and pray and maybe ask questions that we were ever scared to ever ask before? God, what if? What if I didn't just assume that, God, you would no way, no how call me to deepest, darkest Africa? Maybe you would. Maybe there's some in this room, the usual suspects who show up every week. And as I gaze across this room, my eyes would just glance you by. Oh, but God has called you, and we won't know until we worship and fast and pray and listen. Listen to Him together. That some of us might hear that call. Worship and fast and pray. Let's adjust our attention. Let's adjust our attention. So you know, why our attention, you know why there's this imbalance of the ministry across the world and the unreached people groups across the nations. Because our attention is taken up with what's right in front of us. There's so much work to do here, right? There's so much busyness and so much news and so much noise, and our lives are so full, I just don't have the capacity. Can we make a concerted effort to just change our attention? I'm not asking you to add something on to your life. First, I'm asking you to take something away. Like, turn off the news for Pete's sake. It can, it can go an hour or two without you. Let's pay attention to God's heart for the nations. Maybe instead of rushing off to lunch today, you walk out of here and you walk into that cafe and you'll see, you notice as you came in, there was this experiential walkthrough we have to just give you a taste of some of the areas of the world that are impacted by our global partners, by our international partners in ministry. And take a walk through that. Pastor Jeff and, and Tracy will be out there and, they'll be, and be patient too. We're not going to let everybody just flood through there at once. We're going to take it a little bit at a time just because we want to care for these things well. These things are on loan and want to give, give time and space for all of us to actually experience that together and begin to ask and pray and wonder and listen and turn our attention to some of the areas of the world where, where Christ is having impact through our partners, but through us together as we are part of sending those partners, right? See, see, back in World War II, you know what they did? They would sit down to watch movies in World War II, and you know what would come up before, world War, before the movie? It wouldn't be a trailer for the latest blockbuster. It would be newsreels. Of what was happening overseas, of what was happening way over there, of what was happening on the front lines, because these were our boys and we want to know what's going on. This is what's important. Do you know, like these folks overseas, they're our boys. There are girls, there are brothers, there are sisters. Like, there's this sense in that generation, World War II, like this is all of us for this cause. We want to know what's going on. This is all of us for this commission. Do you want to know what's going on? Like will we turn our attention? Will we get hungry for news from the front lines? Even if we're not over on the front lines, even if we're never called to the front lines, will we get hungry for news from the front lines? We turn our attention to what we sacrifice. You know what else happened in World War II? Like they, they people, even the people who didn't go, they sacrificed. Like they, they went on gas shortages and they bought war bonds and they uh, collected nails and I mean, like what looks like now insignificant stuff, but they all knew they were doing this for a greater cause and they were willing to sacrifice. Are we willing to sacrifice? Are you and I willing to sacrifice? Yeah, maybe that means us changing that percentage and giving more of our money. Are we willing to sacrifice more of our time to give our attention to what God is doing not just here but across the nations? Are we willing to sacrifice? Are we willing to sacrifice because it's worth it? Listen, I've gone longer than I intended. We've got one more thing. Like as we, as we go out there, like, another thing that's out there is a book table. There's books like this, Don't Waste Your Life by John Piper. This book has changed my life. If I started paging through it again in the last few weeks, it's changed my life again. He does a great job of in here of affirming some of us our secular calling, that, that right where you are, God can use you to further the gospel. And he doesn't stop short of saying, maybe one, maybe some of you reading this right now, maybe some of you hearing this right now, might be called across the sea. Eternity in Our Hearts is another book out there, and there's many more. They're filled with stories. A lot of those books are just filled with stories of those who went, of those who called were, were called by God to do ra- something radically different. And they went, you know what, stories do, stories inspire me, so I just want to end with this story. Back in the early 1800s, there was one man preparing to go on mission. Adoniram Judson. He had an awesome name. Adeniram Adoniram Judson. It's the first decade of the 1800s. And you got to keep in mind, not one ever missionary had gone from America to foreign soil. Ever. None. First decade of the 1800s. And he and a group of fellow students begin praying for God's heart for the nations. And like, give us that heart. Let's pray and support those in other countries who are trying to further the gospel. And then they begin to ask the question, like, what if, it, what if some of us, what if some of us are called to go? Adoniram Judson was called to go. He discovered over time, and so he got the training to go, and as he's being trained to go to the Burmese people, he meets a woman named Anne and falls in love with her. And he's getting ready to go overseas, and remember, it's not as easy to get back and forth overseas in those days, early 1800s. He wants to marry this woman, and so he writes a letter to her father, and this is the letter he wrote. I have now to ask... Whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring. To see her no more in this world whether you can consent to her departure and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of missionary life, whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death, can you consent to all this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home? For the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you, can you consent to all this for the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God? Can you consent to all this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with the crown of righteousness, brightened with the acclamations of praise, which shall redound to her Savior from heathens saved through her means, saved from eternal woe and despair? What would you say? Like I'm reading that as a father. Father. I'm like, what would you say to that letter? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what Ann's father said? He didn't, he didn't answer. He's, he said, it's not my choice. He gave Ann the choice. She said yes. She said yes to that. Giving up all of that. Seen it is worth it. And do you know what? She gave it all up, not for the love of Adoniram Judson. For the love of Jesus Christ that compelled her. Can we be compelled by the love of Jesus Christ? Because the Great Commission needs foreign missionaries. It does. And maybe some of you might hear that call, and... And it needs teachers and encouragers and givers and supporters and prayers and administrators and promoters and writers and senders and more. Because this mission is for all of us. Would you allow the love of Christ to compel you to be a part of this greater mission? To question, maybe I, maybe I might be sent, you know, you know what we realized is we sent out Tim and Steph Woolline a few months ago. They went to a reached people group. They went to Germany now. But we realize as we sent them out, like we haven't offered the invitation. Are there any who would want to go? We want to be a church that offers that invitation regularly. If you sense that call over the coming weeks, we're ready to be a church that supports you in exploring that call. There's a sign-up sheet. If you might be called to be somebody to explore that call to go, or explore that call to pray, or explore that call to teach, or explore that call to support Do you feel motivated to be part of that call to international missions? There's a sign-up sheet for interest. Just to begin asking open-handedly to start the conversation because it's not done yet. Would we be a people who, for the love of our Savior, won't stop the conversation but start it? Lord, what's my part to play? Let's bow our heads. Lord God, I thank you for your goodness. In chasing after us. God, as we talk about people and are inspired by people who go to foreign soil and cross cultures and sacrifice all to go to people for your name, Jesus, you led the way. You came from the halls of heaven and crossed a great divide into a world of darkness and brought the light of your glory which will never be quenched. I thank you for the glimpse that we have gotten in our lives of this glory. God, help us see it more clearly. God, help us hear your invitation to be a greater part of your mission at home and abroad. Lord, I pray that you would stir our hearts and minds to support our brothers and sisters from here through prayer through encouragement, through letters. I pray that you would draw our attention more to what you are doing. Draw our eyes away from the headlines of what this world says is important and draw it to the headlines of your kingdom which will never fade away and which the gates of hell will not prevail against. Draw our eyes and our hearts to the real story of this moment in history, Lord. It is for love of you that we listen. God, stir our love of you that we might go. It's in your name we pray. Amen. People of grace, would you rise to your feet and let's worship him.